This is Tom Lee for NEGM Catalyst, and today we're talking with John Kingsdale, who's played a number of interesting and important roles in healthcare. Uh, but the one that we're focusing on today uh, was one that he began in 2006 when he was executive director of the Commonwealth Health Insurance Connector. Uh, now, we're having this conversation because we're just about at the 10-year anniversary of the passage of Obamacare, and there are going to be a lot of important reflections on lessons learned over the last decade. But John actually has more than a decade of insights on this model for expanding coverage because John played the, a very interesting, important role. He created the first exchange, uh, which was what followed from the passage of healthcare reform in Massachusetts. Uh, that occurred in 2006, and uh, the exchange which which was developed in Massachusetts under John's leadership was the model upon which Obamacare was based. Uh, I, John's a friend. I like and respect him, but I really admire him because he created something from nothing. There were no exchanges, and John and his team had to come up with a model that would work. And it's safe to say that if the Massachusetts exchange had not been heading in the direction of viability, it would have been a lot harder to get Obamacare passed. Um, so you can say with a lot of plausibility that you know tens of millions of Americans have coverage today because of the work that John played a critical role in. Now we are going to ask John to look back and talk about lessons learned, uh, what went right, what went wrong, what he might have done differently. But first, though, you know, let's talk a little bit about what was it like starting with a blank slate? How did you go about creating the vision for the first exchange, how it would work, and, and how you would get it off the ground? Hello, Tom. It's a pleasure to talk with you again. Um, you know, I, I want to pick up on something that you were just saying. It, it's amazing how much influence Massachusetts did have on federal health care reform. I think in large part because of the role that Senator Kennedy played here and in Washington and some of his staff, particularly John McDonough, who was influential in enacting reform in Massachusetts and nationally. Um, but it's also instructive as to how parochial I think American health policy can be. Um, we apparently find much more inspiration in a model of universal or really near universal coverage, developed in one small state, Massachusetts, than in all the many models of universal health care financing prevalent throughout the economically developed world and which we have consciously ignored. That Massachusetts could cover most residents, 97%, with a particular approach seemed to have been a powerful stimulator not only to try it nationally, but really to copy our model. And I'd, I'd contrast that with, say, uh, for example, Taiwan, which in the early 1990s went out to study universal coverage around the world and select the best one for their country. Uh, they ended up choosing Canadian-style Medicare for all. And ours was the very opposite approach. If it wasn't invented in the good old USA, it seems alien and irrelevant. So D.C. looked very closely at our model, at our experience, and was constantly asking, how did you handle this or how did you handle that? The best thing in terms of getting this going, 
I'd say, to return to your question, is that um, we had an amazing degree of bipartisan consensus here in Massachusetts. That obviously has not been the national experience. We had, for example, 198 out of 200 state representatives and senators uh, voting for this reform, including uh, then a Republican state senator named Scott Brown. It was championed by a Republican governor, Mitt Romney, in a deep blue state, and it was paid for in half by George Bush's uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So my job really was to ride the wave, basically to use the momentum of overwhelming bipartisan support and not fall off the surfboard. There were a lot of private sector leaders, uh, essentially much of the local power structure vested in our success. So we mobilized their support, and we stoked it, and we fed it. I remember um, one of the first uh, interviews I did when I was very, very just coming on board at the uh, connector uh, was with an old Democratic uh, war horse, Bill Johnston, who told me, um, John, just never forget this is a campaign from beginning to start. And we really um, did do it that way. We had uh, meetings, I think some 320 community meetings around the state to try to explain what this was all about to people, to employers, to brokers, to consumers. Um, we had a huge sponsorship by the best respected brand in New England, the Red Sox. Um, we strove on every controversial issue to get a unanimous vote of our board. The board uh, ranged the full range of Massachusetts politics from far left to dead center. and. Um, and we did manage to get the uh, unanimous votes. We employed um, survey research every other year, sponsored by Blue Cross Blue Shield Massachusetts Foundation, to um, measure the impact um, on access and quality and cost of care. There was a PR campaign funded by the private sector. Uh, you may recall, Tom, that tried to soften the blow of the most controversial part of this whole reform, which was the requirement that all individuals who could afford it buy insurance. And we even had a war room of sorts to counter the inevitable attacks from right-wing radio that was uh, determined to uh, find the flaws in what we were doing. So it was a lot of PR, a lot of, of uh, public communication. Well, I mean, it was a great story and I, I as I'm sure you will remember but the viewers won't that uh, we had dinner with our spouses the night you finished your prior job at Tufts Health Plan before you started uh, that this one and uh, you said you said you weren't a religious man but you wanted to have a, a brief prayer and what you wanted to pray for was that we wouldn't have a recession for the next three years and of course that prayer did not work out but despite that, the exchange went on, and so, uh, and then healthcare reform passed in this country. Uh, so, what what's your overall assessment of how the exchange model has functioned? Uh, what grade? Now that you're an academic teaching classes, what grade would you give them? Um, I'd probably give them a maybe a B plus. 
Um, you know, and here I'm speaking nationally. Unlike Massachusetts, the so-called, they're now called marketplaces. Um, that's the federal designation for what we first learned to call them as exchanges. They've labored under some very trying circumstances. First of all, there's the so-called federal-state partnership, which uh, is uh, an, almost an oxymoron. And it even did in the Massachusetts connector. For years, it floundered, and I used to introduce myself to um, audiences outside of Massachusetts by saying that I ran it back when the connector worked. And I have to give kudos to Governor uh, Charlie Baker and Mary Lou Sutters and Louis Gutierrez uh, in his administration for putting it back on track. It's working very nicely now. But, um, you know, the exchanges suffered from a lot of those quote-unquote glitches. And um, there was a political opposition at both the state and the federal level, uh, very much in contrast to the support we had here. You had 50 different states thinking about starting up all at the same time with uh, limited IT and other resources, and frankly, far less progressive local health plans that didn't necessarily dig in to help them to help them out. So they, they've done okay. Um, the states have done a little better um, than the federal marketplace. Most states didn't step up to the line, so surprisingly, the feds had to uh, run the marketplace in about 35 of the 50 states. But the state marketplaces uh, have continued to grow a little bit despite federal efforts to undercut, whereas the uh, federal marketplace has been shrinking for the last couple of years. And so, you know, it's, it's not a perfect record by any means. On the other hand, I think the exchanges maybe were oversold as a new, new thing. You know, insurance is confusing. Uh, frankly, it's a whole lot easier to give it away than sell it. And I'm not sure that... Uh, uh, the strength of uh, government is in selling, uh, certainly as complicated a product as health insurance is. So the enrollment has been somewhat disappointing, frankly. Um, there were supposed to be more like about 16 million people enrolled the exchanges, and there are only about 10 million. And not at all of those are newly insured by any means. And then, um, you know, there's this whole theory of empowering consumers, uh, frankly, consumers are still pretty confused about health insurance. So uh, it's a mixed record. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the, the concept, at least the concept that, uh, you know, I absorbed uh, as, as this model was being developed is that this was our shared uh, attempt to try to preserve the vitality of the private marketplace. And, you know, this was a Republican ideology, but... Uh, Republicans aren't the only ones who believe in, a, in the vitality of a private marketplace, and we are trying to keep that vitality in healthcare, or even enhance it by having competition uh, among insurers and bringing better products to the market, and competition among providers to be uh, participants in those products. At this point, a decade into it, do you feel like that ideology is the right one, or do you think something simpler like Medicare for all uh, might get the job done with a lot less muss and fuss? Well, <laughs> you ask a good question. I, I uh, think the question, the way I would frame it is what can you do within the ideological and interest group 
uh, constraints that you're operating with. And so I think the market um, and the private sector are almost guaranteed to roll in healthcare. You know, it's our biggest business. It's 18% of gross domestic product. But there's a lot of cant about the role of markets in healthcare and insurance because market competition is very flawed. Um, we could discuss that for hours, but uh, market competition in healthcare, particularly, is, is uh, really flawed. Um, and hopes for the exchanges to enhance competition was always going to be an uphill battle. That said, there was a legitimate hope that fair competition would empower individual consumers to shop in a more competitive insurance market, and uh, direct consumers of insurance are better served, they really are better served by an individual market under the ACA than they were in the past. Part of that is due to minimum standards replacing pretty shoddy coverage, although these standards are now under Republican attack again. Part of it is that much more of the premium dollar dollar actually goes to pay for medical care than for marketing and administration. So in Massachusetts, that's 90%. Um, nationally, it's 80% or more. And it used to be about 60% before the ACA of individual premiums actually paid for medical care, which is outrageous. Um, and part of it's due to greater transparency and competition. But, you know, even though consumers can compare and shop, um, we had marketplaces that were plagued with operational failures. They've been plagued in the last couple of years with escalating premiums, although that now be, seems to be getting to mod moderate. Um, and that's really the big problem is, as you know, it's continuing cost escalation. And um, the ACA, frankly, consciously avoided the politically tough battles over cost control. We couldn't even allow a public option in the marketplaces because that threatened the egregiously high payment levels that providers and drug companies can extract from weak uh, private insurers. So I do think that a robust public option and enhanced subsidies, um, with those in place, Americans might begin to see the ACA marketplace contribute to cost control. And uh, I guess I'd point as an example, again, the Massachusetts Connector, which features several private plans that are essentially a form of public option and drag, if you will. Uh, Massachusetts subsidizes a limited number of low premium plans on the connector. And those plans essentially pay Medicaid uh, reimbursement rates. They are Medicaid MCOs, or Medicaid Managed Care Organizations, offered as private plans on the exchange. And they're priced well below competing commercial plans. But, you know, I don't want to oversell this. Uh, first of all, on the exchange, we're only talking about 10 million out of 300 million insured people in the United States that are on the exchanges. And second, even a tightly controlled premium, you know, that's $20,000 per year for a family of four, that seems pretty egregious to most middle-income Americans. So I think we're probably going to have to find some way to a marry competition with an all-payer rate-setting system, like every other civilized country does, if we're going to solve the conundrum of uh, continuing escalation in healthcare costs. Well, let me close with like two questions, which are you know completely speculative. The first one is like, 
if you could go back and redo what you did in Massachusetts, is there anything you would have done differently? You know, anything that you realize, oh, that was a mistake in retrospect. You know, maybe I'm not very self-reflective or self-critical, but I wouldn't change a lot. We certainly didn't ratchet down premiums, but Massachusetts did eventually take a real stab at health care costs in 2012 with the passage of something we refer to as Chapter 224. And that has shown some limited impact on cost trends over time. And we did it in part because we said we're going to cover everybody or virtually everybody, which meant that we had to confront the costs. And 224 has had some impact. It uh, hasn't solved it, but um, we're really not going to be able to tightly control costs, as I say, without some kind of all-payer rate regulation. So I I think in Massachusetts, you know, we did a good job with the tools we were given and the political possibilities that we had, and we laid the basis for additional legislation, which has had additional beneficial impact. Um, So I'm not sure there's a lot I'd change, actually. Okay, this has been my last question for, you know, since... Uh, you've confessed that you're not self-reflective or self-critical. <laughs> <laughs> what would you prescribe I'll leave that to you? <laughs> yeah. What would you prescribe for the rest of the country then going forward? That some kind of blend of, as you're suggesting, of of marrying a marketplace with competition with a strong public option. Yeah, I think some kind of combination is inevitable, and I've. I've written a little bit about this. You know, there's a, a fascination at the moment, uh, in the Democratic Party at least, with Medicare for all. But it's incredibly disruptive uh, to move in any uh, rapid period um, to displace uh, literally tens of millions of financial arrangements between employers and employees and health plans, and doctors and hospitals, et cetera. And so I think, like many other countries, we could get there with better subsidies uh, for low-income people, with uh, regulation of reimbursement rates or negotiation of reimbursement rates on an all-payer basis, uh, with a public option, um, and a strategy for uh, sort of interdigitating competition where we have uh, private sector players, including, frankly, much stronger antitrust enforcement. I mean, we've just, it's criminal that we've let this merger mania over the last 30 years basically destroy competition in so many areas, which is, frankly, I think strengthens the case for regulation now, yeah. um, and combine it with a strong governmental role that you need uh, uh, to to control costs and to subsidize uh, the, the the remaining cost of coverage. Well, uh, the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, my last question was very much, much in the in along the lines of, if you were king and could call all the shots, what would you do? But we could do a lot worse than uh, having you as king calling all the shots. But uh, I do think what the prescription you lay out is, is a sound one. Uh, well, look, I want to thank you for your time and your willingness to share your experiences and to look back, and I think your insights are great, and I'm sure we're going to be tapping into them again. We have a lot to uh, gain from John Kingsdale now and in the years to come. 
So thank you once again, John. Oh, thank you, Tom. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, and I appreciate your, your asking for my thoughts.